Well, let us return to that portion of Scripture that we have read together. And we read again the words of verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And may God the Holy Ghost grant to us solemn thoughts of Christ as we come to consider this fifth saying of Christ on the cross. I thirst. This groan of our blessed Saviour is the culmination of all his sufferings. Soul and body, they are all encapsulated in this word of suffering. I thirst. This expression is itself an agonizing expression. And it so gave a full public testimony. Not only to the reality of Christ's sufferings. But also to the deep intensity of his sufferings. No man suffered as Christ suffered. The intensity of his sufferings was to the very recess of his soul. And we have often heard, haven't we, that the soul of his sufferings was the sufferings of his soul. And the sufferings of his soul is manifested in the suffering also of his body. Sufferings of deep in intensity. And this expression we can call, as I've already said, the word of his suffering. Dear friends, there are two types of thirst. There is a thirst that is natural to our physical frame. It's a proper thirst. But there's also a spiritual thirst, a figurative thirst that a man can have. And Christ at this time, felt both at their extremity. Both a physical thirsting and also a spiritual thirsting. And both converged upon Christ at this time to convey to us somewhat of the extremity of his hell sufferings. Dear saints, they met together. In infinite fullness. In infinite extremity. As the wrath of God was laid upon the soul. And upon the body. Of the man Christ Jesus. Now as we seek. In much reverence. And godly fear. As we seek to consider this word of suffering. Let us ever keep before us our sin and the sinfulness of our sin. For it was our sin that so scorched the very heart of Christ that he cried, I thirst. Well, let us consider this 
together with the Lord's help. Firstly, Christ thirsted in that the scriptures be fulfilled. We read that in our text. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And we see the response when he cried, I thirst, in verse 29. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. This was a fulfillment of Psalm 69 and verse 21. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. So this word of suffering was in fulfillment and according to the word of prophecy. Now we are taught a number of lessons with regards to this truth. That Christ thirsted in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And it is good for us to notice. Because he fulfilled all righteousness, remember, in his obedience. So even upon the cross in the midst and culmination of a suffering, he still sought himself to fulfill the word of God. So firstly, this groan of suffering was not a complaint. It was not a complaint of Christ in any way, but rather a demonstration of a submissive son, a submissive spirit in intense suffering we follow christ as he is apprehended in the garden we follow him through the humiliation of his trials we see the suffering the lashes on his back they smote him and spat in his face and yet we read of no complaint of christ we read we do not read that christ thirsted until this point This is how we know that this was not a complaint of Christ. In the voluntariness of his offering, he was willing. He went forth. It was a cry then of a submissive spirit and intense suffering. In order for his people to be set at liberty, he knew that he was to perform all righteousness. He knew that the requirement was Perfect obedience. Even at the culmination of a suffering. Even as he went to the very extremities of agonies of hell suffering. He knew that he was to fulfill all righteousness. He was to be in obedience to God's word. He was to act in faith for the saving of his people. Dear saints, in the depth of his agonies of sufferings, he thought on his people. What a thought that is for us and our thinking upon him. He thought on his people. Not only all types of the old administration, but all messianic prophecies must be fulfilled. For it was written of him. And Christ was the true and faithful witness. And he was the true and faithful witness even when he was in the climax of being the suffering servant. You see, all must be fulfilled. All types, 
all prophecies. In order for God's word to remain faithful and true, all was to be fulfilled. Even this last messianic prophecy of Christ, I thirst. This was not a complaint, but perfect obedience and suffering. It's a marvel to us, isn't it? We are called to perfect obedience. And how hard is it for us to have even partial obedience in the Christian life? And here is Christ set before us with the rod of the wrath of God heavy upon his soul. And yet he falters not. He's obedient still. It is a thought worth taking hold of. For Jesus had no quenching of his thirst since the upper room. He would have drank in celebrating the Passover with his disciples. But he took not the cup of the institution of the Lord's Supper. So his thirst would have been quenched in the upper room. But we read not of it being quenched since then. Through all of the suffering and trial through the the hours of the day. He received no refreshment. The agonies and heaviness of soul in Gethsemane. We all know that all too well. That itself drained his physical frame so much. So that it was like perspiratory blood. It was like great drops of blood coming from him. The suffering of soul. We read he was greatly amazed. Conveys a heaviness upon the soul. A heaviness that any finite man in and of himself could not take. The suffering of soul takes its toll on the body. Before the bodily suffering. Think of that. The garden of Gethsemane. Perspirating as it were. Like great drops of blood. That was soul suffering. And we see the effect. Of the soul suffering. Upon his body in the garden. And he had not yet entered into the. Intense physical suffering. Of his trial. And of the cross. Of Calvary. So we see then better that the soul suffering and the physical suffering, when they converge and climax, what must his suffering have been? It's inexpressible. Words cannot express the depths of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We but touch the matter, don't we? And yet still no complaint. In obedience, the scripture must be fulfilled. Yet it is here when the extremity of his sufferings converge on soul and body. He groans. Not a complaint, but a heavy groan. I thirst. But secondly, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, teaches us of his voluntariness in his sufferings. The voluntariness in his sufferings. For we read in Matthew 27, Matthew's account and verse 34, that Christ at the beginning of his sufferings refused a drink. Verse 34, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he did taste it thereof, he would not drink. You see, this was given to those who were being crucified into 
nullif for nullifying their suffering, to dull down the pain, as it were. And yet Christ refused that drink at the beginning of his bodily sufferings on the cross. He would not have his senses nullified at all. He would not have the pain of his extreme sufferings, as it were, lightened at all. Dear saints, in his sufferings, for us, his senses were not deadened. But rather he was in full consciousness, in faith toward God and love unto the saints. Now think on this. As he was coming to the climax of his sufferings, body and soul, his mind scanned all of the word of God in search for this messianic prophecy. And even as he came to the climax of his sufferings, he apprehended this prophecy. The clearness of his mind, the voluntariness of the sufferings of Christ is clearly set before us in this truth. He would not receive the gall with the vinegar. His mind would be clear. And we see here that in perfect obedience, his mind scanned the whole of Scripture and caught hold of this prophecy. And he cried, I thirst. You see, he must bear infinite wrath. He must be the sufferer of hell's agonies in order to be the redeemer of hell's agonies. We see the connection, don't we? In order to be the redeemer of such, he must first be the sufferer of such. But let us secondly note that Christ thirsted in that he drank the Father's cup. Christ thirsted in that he drank of the Father's cup. We read of the Father's cup in Matthew chapter 26. In the Garden of Gethsemane in verse 39. Christ his soul was exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And we read, And he went a little further and fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. In verse 42, he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Except I drink it, thy will be done. Dear congregation, the Father's cup was one of wrath and one of suffering. One writer remarked, Christ's cup that which the Father had prepared for Christ was deep and large. It contained all the fury and wrath of an infinite God in it. That's what this cup of the Father contained. Infinite wrath and fury of a holy God. Dear saints, I suggest to you that it was in Christ taking of this cup it was Christ in draining this cup to its very dregs that we hear the groan. I thirst. 
This is not the normal way, is it? Normally when we drain a cup, our thirst is quenched. Not with the Father's cup. And that cup must be drained by Christ. And in him taking that cup, he thirsted. The Father's cup was no longer full. But Christ rather held it up, inverted Children, that is the cup held upside down. That is how Christ dealt with the Father's cup. He drained it of himself. And upon receiving vinegar to drink, what was the response? Well, it was a cry of triumph. In verse 30, we read, It is finished. But let us return to the agonies of his sufferings. It was thought that thirst was the cruelest torture of crucifixion. Out of all the torture that a crucified man would receive, thirst was thought to have been the cruelest. Persons being crucified, it is thought that they felt a consuming or a burning of their bodily frames. I was recently I was reading the life of the Reverend Moody Stewart, and as he was licensed, he was sent to Holy Island. And upon that island, there was an outbreak of cholera, and a young, healthy, and fit woman, who was later called Resurrection Kate. She was in the fruitfulness of life. She was strong. She was lively. And she was struck down ill. And she was so ill that she couldn't move or communicate at all. They thought that she was dead. And she went through a period where she could hear the grave digger and the nurse talking about her burial. And she couldn't communicate with anyone. And after this time, Moody Stewart went to see her and he asked her, when you were in that state of consciousness yet you couldn't communicate, what was the height of your suffering? What was the worst thing that you experienced? She said, thirst. Thirst caused me to want to die. The height of her agony was not hearing that they would bury her alive, but that she thirsted. And so it was for those who were crucified. It was the cruelest of torture, and the thirst was the height of their suffering. Now, when we add this to the bodily sufferings and intensity of his soul suffering and his thirst, we are taught somewhat of the extremities of Christ's suffering. Our blessed Saviour had an eternity of sufferings compressed into a few hours. He experienced for his people the eternal sufferings of hell. You may say, well, how in a few hours can a man experience eternal sufferings? Surely in, in, eternal sufferings are by definition eternal. But this brings us then 
back to the beauty of Christ and of his person. He was both God and man. He was infinite as God. He was finite in his human nature. And the God-man mediator then was enabled to have poured out upon him the infinite wrath of God and to experience that infinite sufferings of hell in a finite period of time. And how was he able to do this? Because he was the fairest among men. His person, both God and man. Infinite suffering in a finite amount of time. The Father's cup dried up the very moisture of his bodily frame. We read somewhat of this in Psalm 32. Psalm 32 and verse 4. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Proverbs 17.22 speaks of bones being dried up. His very frame was like the drought of summer. We can think of his cracked and dried lips. We can think of those pores were from which saliva comes in the mouth and in the tongue being closed over. His very bodily frame being dried as a drought in the intense sufferings. Dear saints, the sufferings of Christ expressed in this groan, I thirst, teaches us very clearly of the depth of the sufferings. His sufferings were equivalent to the sufferings of eternal damnation. Luke 16 and verse 24. The rich man and Lazarus. Oh but a drop from his finger. A drop from the finger of an old tramp. That lay at his gate. The equivalent of Christ's sufferings. Is eternal damnation. That is the suffering for our sin. You see, dear friends, the wrath of the Father's cup was that of an angry God. We read of this in Nahum, chapter 1, verse 6, of God's wrath and anger. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The fullness of the fierceness of his anger. The fullness of his fury poured out upon the body and upon the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath of the Father's cup was the pure wrath of God. It was unmixed, pure wrath. Within that cup was every bitter ingredient of our sin and our sinfulness and our guilt before God pure wrath think of this dear congregation God's wrath poured out on Christ was without mercy there was no mercy this had to be so in order that we may know 
of the pure mercy of God in Jesus Christ. But that brings us on to our third point. Christ thirsted so that we may take of his cup. Christ thirsted so that we may take of his cup. You see, the Savior took of the Father's cup so that his people would so take of the cup of his blessing. You see, it was in our place instead. It was as our substitute that he bore the wrath of God. Therefore, in him taking the Father's cup, we shall never taste of it. But we shall taste of the cup of his blessing. The cup of the Father was without mercy for Christ. And the cup of Christ is full with mercy for his people. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? That he so willingly took that cup that had no trace of mercy in it. In order that we may take the cup of his mercy. Dear saints, his groan, I thirst, conveys to us that not a drop of comfort came from heaven into his soul. Not one drop of comfort from heaven to relieve his soul's suffering. Rather, his soul was filled with the grief of his suffering, with the grief of the guilt of his people's sin, to which his body bore the unspeakable burden of thirst. By his own hand in suffering, he passes to his kin, to his folk, the cup of his blessing. All that we may not cry this cry of suffering, I thirst. In the cup of Christ, we have communicated to us all the comforts of spiritually and heavenly blessings to relieve us in our sufferings. All that was absent from the Father's cup, we receive in the cup of blessing. What do we read? I always bear about in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That's what we do this morning. We bear about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus as we remember his death, as we are reminded in this gracious sacrament that he has instituted for us. When we see the bread and the wine, we are reminded of the Father's cup and that the Father's cup has been replaced by his suffering. For a cup of blessing. In the cup of Christ. Our souls by the gracious operation of the spirit of Christ. Are filled with joy. The joy of our Lord. It's a wonderful thing isn't it? We are brought low. Thinking that it was for our sin. That he died. We are brought to the place of humiliation. Knowing that. Our sin caused his suffering. And yet in the remembering of that, he assures us that we take of, this, of the cup of his blessing. 
no heavenly comfort for his soul in his suffering in order that there would be heavenly comfort in the souls of his people as we sojourn in this earth. Dear saints, as we partake of his cup, let us remember this word of his suffering. Let us remember that he groaned, I thirst. As we see his body broken in the bread, let us remember that his bones were as those dried up and it was as the drought of summer. As we see the shed blood in the cup, let us also remember the Father's cup of which Christ took in pouring his soul out unto death. As the wine is poured into the cup, we are reminded that he poured his soul out unto death. Even the death of the cross, the agonies thereof, the ugliness of it, the shame that was suffered. And yet he did it for us. As the mercy of Christ is pure and unmixed toward us. May our thankfulness for this word of suffering be expressed with pure hearts of faith. Let us exercise ourselves in the light of these words and what they convey to us of his sufferings. For dear saints, we are promised that blessed are they that are pure in heart, for they shall see God. And may we see God in Christ as our eyes behold the elements as our senses are exercised in the smell and the taste of the bitterness of the cup, may we be reminded that he went forth for us to save us and to bless us. Dear saints, that we would see God in Christ as we come now to communicate at his table. May the Lord be pleased to bless that public reading of his own truth. Let us stand for a word of prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, we draw near unto thee, having the solemnity of these words heavy upon our hearts. But we come in thankfulness knowing that it was for us that he died. Therefore, may we now, being exercised by this word, truly honour him in his death, truly honour him in his satisfactory work, knowing that the church performs such until he come again. Lord, grant us thy help and thy spirit. Help us to remain in a frame of solemnity and humility, knowing that we are but creatures saved by a gracious God. This we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen.